Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew Meredith, welcome to this episode of the Australian Investors Podcast. Two cents. It's great to be here. It is. It's our final two cents of the year. Yes. Coming at the end of silly season. Where's everyone going to get their cents from? <laughs> and yes, the comedy. And the comedy, the, the last. So, housekeeping. We will still be publishing throughout the break. You can still listen to our soothing voice. We've actually prepared something for all of January. We've got a heap of uh, episodes coming out. We'll also have the likes of Tom Milner, Nikki Shavak from Blackbird, Nick Crocker, Blackbird. Heaps and heaps and heaps of awesome conversations. But for today, Drew, we've got to be quick. When I say quick, quick by our standards. An hour and a half. An hour and a half. Because we've got so many dang questions we want to get through. It's going to sound something like this. The fastest reader in the world. I read a 1,679 pages book within... Two seconds. <laughs> yes. Go on. Is that what I sound like when I'm reading? <laughs> That's going to be our answer. They, say, they seem a bit weird. What is it? It, what it was happened? fast, so you didn't know. What, the, what just happened now? What, what did you learn from the book that you just read? You said what? The first one is pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I will chew your meat. Are you crazy? You think I have to talk with you? Uh, anyway. There it goes three minutes. So I, reckon we've got, I reckon we've got a heap of questions to get through. Oh, boy. But before we get to that, Drew, what have you been working on? You've been arrested? Uh, no, no arrests. <laughs> okay. uh, potentially a case of pink eye, but we're not sure at the moment. Uh, the big one was the live event last Friday, wasn't it? It actually, it actually is true. <laughs> how, how did you like You can't see this, but Drew does look like he's got big <laughs> No follow-up questions? No follow-up questions. I had a lot of fun at the There's live the event policy, last Friday. No follow-up no questions. Follow up questions. Um, yeah, the live event was great fun. Now I feel like I've got pink eyes on top. <laughs> One of the funniest things I saw was when my friends joined, all these, you know, we all have Apple Watches, we're all 
stuck with uh, all kinds of technology on ourselves now. And I saw my heart rate went up to about <laughs> 150 beats per minute before I was even on the stage. So, uh, it, it we did really me. well. It, it was good. to breathe beforehand. So. It was good. You were like bouncing. It looked like you were getting pumped to go on stage. It was great fun. For anyone that uh, wants to watch that, by the way, we answered a bunch of questions that had been sent through to Two Cents um, live. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got all the questions. We we're like, yeah, people are just going to ask us about budgeting, about investing. Tell us about the tax domicile of uh, this fund and can it be invested? And I'm like, what? It, it shows you the difficulty of being in financial advice, like the broad range of questions. I think we got one on how do we calculate insurance live <laughs> on the stage. Uh, there was one about hedging, currency hedging. Currency hedging. The cost of advice. Yep. Uh, and and statements of advice and how to how to implement them. So it was incredibly broad. But that's what a day looks like for us. It could be looking mm. at superannuation, looking at investments, trying to build a strategy. Yeah. Um, no joke. Like I thought, well, people will know us. We're going to be up on stage. We're going to be in our fun shirts. People are going to ask us about ETFs, about investing, about portfolio management, straight up with tax domicile from like, unit trust. I <laughs> did not prepare for this. Why is advice unaffordable? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was great. Um, there were so many good quotes from the night. I think we had Lee Matthews there interviewed by Equity Mates, and he said something that really struck a chord with me, and I've lost my notes, great. But he basically said that um, the way it works is like with him, with with the way he lives his life is he basically said, no one knows what you're thinking. Actions are all that count. And that's yeah. so true. Yeah. Like, that's so true. I was just like, what yeah, you- it is. Definitely. You know, if you're on the, in his case, on the footy field, but even if you're in investing, like everyone can talk about, yeah, I'll buy when the market falls. Yeah, oh, it's too high right now. No yeah. one cares at the end of the day. In, in business, <laughs> just communicating and, and, and speaking and talking. Yeah. So don't assume, you know, what they say about assuming. Mm. Yeah, makes a nice of you and me. Yeah. But Glenn James also said he's never met someone who bought a house in their 20s who also had a car loan. So for anyone that's young, <laughs> Get rid of the bloody thing. Get rid of the car loan. Buy your house first. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dr. Sam Hubert from Prometicus said that he reckons they have 5% market share. Incredible. Yeah. Um, Victoria, like obviously she was just a superstar, Victoria Devine. Luke. <laughs> Luke was so good. Luke Larrative who's been on the show at the end of the night. Close. <laughs> yeah, in the office up here in. too. So close. Yeah. Close uh, friend in, in the yeah. office. He's yeah. Good. And he's so good because he was like the counterpoint. Everyone's like, yeah, you know, you can just do better. It's all about mindset. He's like, no, nah, just pull your pants up and get it done. <laughs> yeah. Really? Again, it's about the action piece. Earn more. Yeah. Earn more. Work harder. Work harder. Push harder. And yeah. then you can save more. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the what we all want to say. Yeah. So it's awesome. And we had Aussie Firebug up on the stage, revealed his face. Everyone was like, who is this guy? And then they heard his voice and they were like, oh. Of course. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. And um, there's so many others like uh, Queenie, Tash, Jess, Kate. A great so, lineup. Yeah, it was awesome. So that was that, mate. But um, yeah, I was joking tongue in cheek when I said, were you arrested? Because someone was arrested this week, which made headlines. Oh, there. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I couldn't work out where you were going. To <laughs> that. So like, Sam, how does he know about this? Back <laughs> It was a Bankman Freed, uh, so founder of FTX, was finally arrested in the Bahamas this week. Not extradited yet. Wasn't he? I've saw freed, a bunch of memos. Fried, freed. Can't be freed it's if you're in jail. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was on a Twitter Spaces, I think it was just a few hours before, and said, I don't think it's likely that I'll be arrested. <laughs> the guy had been doing the rounds on all the conference circuits yeah, at the same time that. that his entire business was going into administration. It seems like- you know, uh, like a car crash in yeah. live. 
But he was the thing is, even on the TV, he was saying that like everyone was saying, you know that like your lawyers have said you shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Oh, they were saying that live on TV. He's like, yeah. Um, Take so, advice. Yeah. I don't. <sighs> Yeah, but anyway, that was quite interesting because um, there was also a memo that was that came out in the, the court case. There's this fantastic Twitter profile uh, leaked tech memos or something like this. Yeah, and it showed some court documents of an email that he'd sent to someone. I think I think who was in the uh, Bahamas government and basically said, "We can return all the funds. You've been so great for us, uh, great to us. We can return all of the funds to Bahamians." Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can <laughs> return it now else. in full yeah. Yeah. if you want that. And I think that was a mechanism to try and protect himself, if I'm guessing. Because they have to extradite him back to America first, don't they? Yeah, they'd have yeah. to, wouldn't they? Yeah. I didn't, yeah. Uh, it's a big deal, right? It's it's massive. And I think there's a question that comes up during the Q&A here, which was, was it naive or uh, what's what's the opposite deliberate? Where is, it's yeah, hard where is, to see, like- this is you, you, the more every day you find something new out, which is like investor funds are being commingled with the company funds that have then been invested into or staked in on margin accounts and invested into other companies. Um, yeah, which is just completely unheard of. Well, this yeah, yeah, crazy. And you, when I were talking about this a minute ago, about isn't it just nuts? Like all of these massive institutional investors were putting money in there. Exactly. Yeah, which you'd have to question the level of due diligence given what's coming out now and whether it was just a popularity contest where he was growing so quickly everyone wanted to be involved. Yeah. Um, it's a one thing with advice. We, we've had it quite a few times where you, if you're getting advice, you should never be paying your investment into an advisor's bank account. Oh, That's probably the big one. Never. I know you probably didn't know when you go on an FTX, but essentially what happened was your money went into his or their, the company's bank account, not into an account for you. It was commingled. We've had a lot of clients that walk in with a check to Waddle Partners, and we said, no, <laughs> take the check back. <laughs> and, in, and we directed into all the other individual investments. That's the way it should always be. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Um, <clears throat> but how do you know that? If you're going to see a financial advisor, how do you know which bank account it is? They'll tell you, and usually we don't use checks anymore. There's, there's easy with like direct debit or- you see like premium or- Exactly. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. We'll see all like net wealth or something like that. So, there's mechanisms and- now where advisors can assist with those payments, but the client still has to authorize them uh, with Macquarie is a big group for that. Okay. Um, but there's also in a PDS, you get a bank details and you'd usually complete a form that goes along with it and your advisor would give you those details to make the transfer. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah. and But the, yeah, I mean, there's just no oversight, right? We've talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. You can't have oversight, no oversight of a custodial model. No governance. It, it, like- I think they talked about there being like Excel spreadsheets that accounted for the balance sheet. Yeah. Which for the size of the company, the amount of money they raised is insane. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things though, right? Like you don't really know if you don't understand finance. But so many people are still invested in crypto and to be honest, have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Like I'd say most people that do it. And that's the scary that's, thing. Yeah. And I think there's there was a big run on Binance too, wasn't there this week? Yeah. It's what billion dollars in a day. Yeah. yeah outflows, but it's like 60 billion overall, but still, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to scare anyone, but I mean, I wouldn't have money in something like that. So, yeah. like, yeah, just flat out wouldn't have money in anything like that. Um, there was a question that came through, actually, which was something related to this. I've got about a gazillion questions. Oh, yeah, this is from uh, the big dip buyer who says, lots of Ponzi's going on at the moment. <laughs> all in crypto. If you were- th- well, Not all in crypto. If you, if you two were to start a Ponzi- what would your scheme be? And I was saying, we call it Rask Partners, which is a combination between <laughs> Rask and Waddle Partners. 
<laughs> we'll do podcast meets financial planning. It'd be like one-on-one advice for a podcast. No, but seriously, it'd be crypto. <laughs> That's the only place, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, crypto just makes it easy to run a scam. Yeah. It and makes it so easy. And there's no regulation. That's yeah. why. And it's money. That's central to it. You yeah. can take real money, t- turn it into fake money, and then that disappears. And create scarcity. Whereas in the past, like the, the Ponzi scheme operator would have to make it seem legit. Yeah. They don't have to with this. They can just lure you in with- Hopes and dreams. Yeah. yeah. And you just think that it's normal. Yeah. That's what I do. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else has been on your mind? So, I've got a big one here, <laughs> and you might have to play the music. Inflation. What's a bit loud? Uh, inflation. US inflation data came out. Yeah. Tell me more. Surprise, surprise. Was Below that- expectations. Oh, so, does this mean you could be correct? Not could be. Could be. Not could be. Going Will- to happen. Guaranteed to happen. No, there's no guarantees. Try to get one out of your mask. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, annual. So, inflation continues to fall and trail off. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> the big main inflation measure was, I think, up se- uh, down from 7.7 in the prior month, over 12 months to 7.1. And core was down from 6.3 to 6. But food prices not growing as much as they were. Energy prices are falling. Gas prices are falling. Used car prices are falling. Services costs are going up. So, you know, your general, uh, I guess, restaurants and all those sort of mm-hmm. uh, places still going up in the US. But pretty much everything else is falling. And you can kind of, with hindsight, you can yeah. even- I, was trying to predict it, you could kind of see it falling off. If you go to the supermarket now, a lot of things are starting to get cheaper than they were six or 12 months ago. So, just, just in real lattices. life. Definitely. Yeah, and they bring this uh, device closer to me so I can play some tunes over here. And they talk about one of the big challenges in the US is that shelter take, makes up something like 40% of inflation at the moment. Oh, really? Okay. But shelter costs are actually almost like averaged out. So, they're multiple years or multiple months. So they're they're both a lag on the way down and a lag on the way up. So there's uh, there's a bit of talk in the moment that that's likely to fall early next year, and then you could see a significant fall in inflation then as well. Huh. Okay. So prediction time. The rate, uh, the Fed still increased rates by fifty basis points this overnight though. So the market went up by about one or two percent when inflation was lower, and then the Fed still hiked anyway and said they might have to hike again next year. But I think they're playing a kind of confidence game where they're allowing people not to get too far ahead of themselves. Yeah. Okay. So, what does that mean? Well, there's a question in here that says, <coughs> will mortgage rates or inflation be higher in 2023? Who asked that question? Where is this? There's a lot of questions that we've got to get through. So, someone was saying, will, will rates be high? Oh, here. Here we go. Um, is this Denzel Frothington? Yes. Great name. So... <laughs> Denzel Froffington says that I'm assuming it's a he asked the question in the name section, but that's okay. We'll forgive him. <laughs> um, so, what will, be high, year, silly what will be higher next year, inflation or interest rates? Like I'm more. saying mortgage rates. I'm not saying interest rate, cash rate. I think it's too low, but mortgage rates probably more relevant. Mortgage rates. So, you're, so is this question saying, what's inflation now? So that's six percent. I'll six get up the other end. Six and a bit. I need to play some hold music. Yeah. Okay. So inflate. Oh, lucky we're both not economists. It's seven point three percent at the time of recording, right, yeah. and the cash rate's three percent. That's within the margin of error yeah, for yeah. most economists. Plus or minus yeah. fifty. Yeah. So 
7.3% is inflation. And the question is, will inflation be below the cash rate, basically? Or yeah. If yeah. I say the cash rate, I said it'd be, I reckon it'd be very close. So, the cash rate's currently 3.1. Yeah. I say they'll be very close next year. Or the if you applied mortgage rates, I think inflation will be below mortgage rates. I think year. inflation will be below mortgage rates. I just don't yeah. know if it'll be below cash rates. Because mortgage rates will be five and a half percent or something at the yeah. moment. So if you rule of thumb with mortgages, add two percent to the cash rate, and that's what a good mortgage would be. Yeah. So three point one percent would be five point one percent in mortgage terms. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Another prediction. Are all my predictions to do with inflation and interest rates at the moment. There's some macro guy. <laughs> huge macro bull. Um, so. Drew says inflation, this is the headline in AFR tomorrow. Drew Meredith says inflation <laughs> below mortgage rates uh, this time next year. Done. Done. <laughs> Got it. I, I agree. So I like it. We'll check in. Remind me of this in one year on Twitter. Um, that's good. I like it. So that's another question we answered without even getting to the questions, Drew, which is pretty good. Thank you, Denzel Frothington. Um, don't know where that name comes from, but. Good on them. Should we get into questions or do you have anything else for us? Uh, the only other one was the energy sector and uh, what's happened there this week. I saw all the iron ore companies got sold off, but what's it going on in energy? Some are calling it nationalization, but essentially oh, yeah, we've got caps. price caps on the East Coast for coal and gas. Trying to So the problem at the moment is that a lot of the buyers and the big, the big users of gas being uh, manufacturers and, and big exporters mm. are paying massive amounts for domestic gas. So the government's trying to cap that, uh, but it has wide ranging implications. So naturally the gas industry industry is worried about all the money they've invested in their, the gas assets that they can't recoup if prices are capped and they can't make higher profits to, to offset the amount of debt they have. Uh, and then others, are, I mean, some people worried about inflation. If you're keeping costs of gas low, does that mean we're just going to spend more on other things and send inflation up higher? And I think we also had a almost a rebate put in in Victoria as well where the government is reducing energy costs for the next 12 or 18 months. Are you looking at me or is that just your I'm own? I'm looking at you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, something had to happen. Uh, the, challenge, the, the issue with a lot of government policy is, is it's kind of too short-sighted that it'll fix an issue today, but potentially create an issue in three or four years' time. Yeah. So if this stops exploration, whether you agree with it or not, then you could just have higher prices. Indefinitely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But maybe the positive would be that hopefully it forces more investment in renewables and, and expansion of that. Isn't this the age-old thing? Like when we get the old economics, we get the two lines going one way and then you just Demand slap supply. something in the middle yeah. with the, the, the uh, government and it just has huge inefficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. It's I like mean, whack-a-mole. 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 Find an issue, whack it, then another issue pops up. Yeah, and then that the, the inefficiencies just run rough. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, we saw that in the UK, right? That Remember the... If you rewind two months ago, everyone thought the world was about to implode because the UK just put in similar types of measures, but they thought that they'd just have unlimited funding on the other side to get it over. It didn't yeah. work So for everyone. So it's crazy it's how like the world works. Like it took two months or three months to get here, basically. Yeah. Except we're like, yeah... Probably not a good idea, but at least our economy's really Reasonably solid. strong. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're on the other side, you know, Queensland and the federal government just makes all their money from export, yeah. <laughs> exports, um, yeah. tax and royalties anyway. So yeah, makes uh, sense. It's hard to hard to hit it too hard. I mean, uh, uh, you were going to London. Did you see Microsoft bought part of the London Stock Exchange? 
No, I did not see that. No. I so I, yeah, I've been uh, living under a rock for the past two weeks. Me too. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> living under the pillow. Um, so, <laughs> so, so what happened? So Microsoft is, I think, expanding their cloud into the London Stock Exchange, and as part of that, they bought some like four percent of their the the stock exchange company. Couldn't they just like interesting. go like yeah, we'll they could buy that. the whole thing. <laughs> I don't think I mean, there's some competition issues if you yeah, do that, if but you, yeah, yeah. Then if you want to be listed, you have to use Office three six five or something. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. Everyone in the UK three six five. See you later, Google. Um, yeah, interesting. Um, you know, I've always been. There's got to be some sort of regulation around this. Maybe if you're listening to this and you know the answer, like Google Finance is basically like, if you go into Google and you Google stocks and stuff, it's like the most valuable search term in like the history of search yep. like stock prices data all that stuff i wonder why google has never decided that they want to facilitate brokerage okay. you know not enough money in it maybe there's not enough money but they do, they do things with travel maybe because it's so light touch they don't have to worry about the regulation but the competition issue have to be wouldn't it it have to be like that's yeah to control that vertical there's a lot of powerful lobbyists and whatever anyway that's great so, Microsoft, big news. FTX, big news. Inflation predictions, big news. Should we get to some questions? We probably should. Yep. All right. We're 20 minutes in. That's pretty good by us. It's a good start line. Um, so, <clears throat> we're going to be quick, kind of like the, the speed reader at the top. We've got so many of your old questions being sent in. We just need to get to them. And... Like, we would encourage you to, obviously, we're just going to give you our two cents. Any of the information that you hear on the show is always limited to general financial information only. Please see a financial planner like Drew or someone in your area um, who can help you get financial advice for your situation because we simply cannot do that. Um, we love it when you send in your questions with the quirky names. Drew and I are going to award a winner. Um, please keep sending your questions in over Christmas because we will be in and we will be recording and doing things. Um, it's just that through the Christmas break, it might be a bit hard for us to get to them uh, straight away. So we're going to try and cover as many as we can just so we can get through them. Remember, you can ask a question, ras.com.au or any of the RAS websites. There's a big thing that says ask a question. So Deep Effing Dividend says, what are your thoughts on carbon credit trading? Feels like this is becoming a more interesting space slash area. Would be great to uh, if you can invite an expert guest on the show to discuss more. I'll tell you what, deep effing dividend. Head to Self Wealth Live uh, on Wednesday, the 14th of December, because Blair Hannon from Globalex was on, and he talked about all this. Uh, they've just come out with the carbon credits uh, thing. So, really interesting. Not something I know a lot about. Yeah. That would probably be my conclusion. Is it the regulated or the unregulated carbon credits, or uh, both? There's one, he's in, there's one from Van Eck. This is the one that has a lot of exposure to Europe yep. and, uh, and Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of, yeah. And all still really early. But what's been really interesting from GlobalX in particular, sponsor of the show. So thank you so much for that. Um, they've launched uh, Atom. Yeah. They launched um, the carbon credits. They got the green metals. What else is there on the copper miners? But they've launched all of these decarbonization focused funds at different areas of the spectrum and they've got ACDC yeah they yeah. really wanted to capture this early on yeah. they wanted to dominate this so there's a lot going on carbon credit trading is like synthetic as far as I know derivatives um, the fee load wasn't actually that bad so we've we met uh, down at the ESG retreat oh yeah there was a group that spoke about carbon credits have their own strategy mm-hmm. um, really unique asset class and you think about <clears throat> part of the reason they talked about it was you've got divestment risk in Companies like AGL or Origin, and if yeah. you're holding them in an index, if if you've got an ability to own carbon credits, there's the potential 
for those carbon credits to be worth more given what's happening in the other businesses. So it's a, a reasonable hedge within portfolios. Yeah. And like everyone at the moment, if you're trying to build a portfolio in, an e- in a period of greater uncertainty, you want as income streams or return streams that, are, that aren't correlated. Yep. Um, you talk to <clears throat> people in the industry about climate change, decarbonisation, it seems clear that carbon credits on positive and negative side are going to be required yep. to help balance that. Absolutely. It's like the economic version of it, right? Yep. So, it's yeah. Like a global tax that you've never been able to apply. Uh, deep effing dividend. If you find someone that you want us to get on the show, let us know. We'll give a, we'll reach out to them and ask them to come on. But in the meantime, there's a lot of research on that GlobalX website. I think Vanek come up with one too. So, there might be some research there for you to look at. Uh, the Baron Zip von Dubber Hoffen. I feel like this is going to be up there for the best name. Uh, hi, Andrew. Thanks for the great podcast. You spoke last week, oh, did we, about the potential for emerging markets to perform, outperform Western markets. What do you think would be reasonable exposure to EM within a portfolio with a long-term time horizon? You also mentioned that you prefer managed funds over for EM. Can you please give some examples that you would recommend and why? So, we, obviously, we are shying away from the word recommend here. We're just going to give you, if we do have some examples, we'll just yeah. give you examples and that's it. Please read the, the PDS and all that sort of fun stuff. Um Maybe, Drew, just really quickly, waiting in a portfolio. So, portfolio construction, we consider this a satellite or a tactical exposure or a dynamic, whichever whichever way you want to think about it. So, maybe yeah, it, it's not a 10-year holding. It might be a three to five year on a, on a shorter term, medium term view. In that On that basis, it's not going to be core. So, it's not going to be your core would usually be about 50% of your global equity allocation, mm-hmm. which might be 30% of a normal portfolio. Uh, and we'd probably say no more. Maximum would be like a fifth or 20%. A fifth of that block. Yeah. Yep. 20% of your global equity allocation would be no greater than that generally. Yeah. We've seen some robo-vice businesses that have had a lot more than that recently. Like it's like 75% of the global equities allocation, which is for me yep. quite scary. Um, There's some interesting modeling that the guys at Atchison have yep. done where it says, you know, if your target return is 10% per annum uh, and you wanted to build it from from a strategic asset allocation perspective, it would need to be 5% cash, 95% emerging markets at the moment. <laughs> like that's that's the only asset class that the models and the forecasts yeah. say has the potential to generate that higher level of return. Crazy. Um, that is not a recommendation. No, that is definitely not a recommendation from either of us. Um, so, yeah, ex- uh, examples. There's a listed fund called uh, Fidelity Emerging Markets Fund, uh, FEMEX, FMEX, Um Disclosure, I do own some units in that, I believe. Um, the There are passive ways to play it as well, obviously, that we've covered. And to Drew's point around satellite, tactical, TAA, whatever you want to call it, um, because we, as I think it's fair to say, we both tend to prefer good active management in this space, what does that mean? It typically means higher fees. So, again, yeah. it forces you further into the tactical bucket. So, you know, if you get a fund that's charging 1% or more, it's pretty hard to justify that being a meaningful part of your portfolio if you're trying to keep your fees down. Exactly. That's what I'd say. Great question. The the Baron von Zip von Doberhofen. Great question. Uh, wannabe was a buffet. Left the T out. I don't know if that was on purpose. Buffet is two Ts, just for those of you playing along at home. Um, how do multi-factor ETFs like WDMF and AUMF stack up? So they seem to be a smarter way... Smarter way equity allocation than the raw market cap index funds, but more expensive, but cheaper than active management. Do they look like a cheap way of stock picking with in a higher inflation environment, or are they just 
started up index etc with some extra frilly bits and fees so i just had a quick look at these funds drew multi-factor funds wdmf is a ticker symbol aumf is another ticker symbol um so you're looking at the the aumf aumf is just stands for australian multi-factor australian multi-factor and the same thing um for wdmf so um basically both diversified multi-factor funds and what is a multi-factor fund well we talk about things like you know, high quality companies, that's called the quality factor. And it's like high return on equity, low debt. Uh, we talk about value, which is normally like low PE ratio, low price to book, and so on and so forth. These are all val- these are all factors. Yep. And you get smart quantitative people that try and mix them all together at certain times in the market. It's called a multi-factor fund. Yep. Broad strokes, Drew, what do you think of multi-factor funds? We prefer, so when we're building portfolios, we think we can add significant value through asset allocation and style selection and what you're talking about or factor selection. So we generally would prefer to have single factors and tilt our own weight between growth and value or momentum and quality rather than outsourcing it because a lot of these are rules-based and you can't necessarily control what factors, what factor exposure you had or they might be always even, which means if momentum's doing incredibly well uh, but value's doing incredibly bad, you're not getting the return that that you could if you were if you remove be more those biases with it. yeah exactly yeah so, so I don't, they're not a bad choice and they're you know essentially you're replacing one factor in the ASX size or market cap with a few so it, it, off, it should offer you more diversification yeah it should offer you more diversification good point but it I would just as a broad strokes rule say you can include them but I don't think they're a natural replacement necessarily for portfolio construction yeah um, super smart people behind all these but I just I'm just happy keeping it simple and controlling more of it myself. Um, <laughs> great question, though. Uh, wannabe was a buffet. And uh, yeah, love it. So the next question is something that's doing the rounds online, Drew. I don't know how much you know on <laughs> Instagram. So this, it, I don't know how to. <laughs> it's from the Titanic. You can yeah. just say that. It's from the Titanic. Kate Winslet. <laughs> Drew me like one of your French girls. Uh, and it's been doing the rounds with a. Uh, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger accent. Um, the question is, as you get to the question, short time listener, long time, uh, first time questioner. Uh, I currently have a Vanguard account and I'm invested in the VGS and VAS ETFs. That's Global Vanguard, Australian Vanguard shares, 50-50. They go on to say it's quite complicated. They're redrawing money from their home to invest more in the market and split it. Um, is it is it better to invest a bigger split into Aussie shares to use the dividends to help pay uh, for something, um, or to go more global and pay off the loan over the longer term? That's assuming you get longer, you get better returns from the global markets. May not be the case. Yeah, I mean, I always struggle with this with this one. You've drawn a loan to as part of a you know redraw or <clears throat> debt recycling strategy, but you're trying to pay the loan off. I s- usually if you're doing a gearing strategy, you want to hold a similar level of gearing for like seven to 10 years. It's a long-term strategy around a capital appreciation. Yeah. So if you were, if in, in that case, if you're trying to grow, then you'd probably want to tilt more to global because it's clear that there's more growth overseas yep. or, or to us anyway. Um, but it really depends on your objectives. And I'd be wary to say that if your priority is to draw, pay off your loan quickly, then investing in equities is probably not the best <laughs> uh, approach to do that at the same time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. debt recycling. What's your objective? Yeah, yeah. If, if it's purely like long-term wealth creation, uh, we talk about using loans for this, uh, loans of credit and whatever. Um, we wouldn't touch any other type of loan or structured product in that way. But um, I would just say, just be careful because debt is like an amplifier. If you're a crap guitarist, 
don't turn it up because everyone will hear it and it will just result in tears. Um, but it, in the right way, it can be used well. I would say what you're trying to do by the scenes is match equity returns with debt repayments. Yeah. Maybe that's not the right expression. Maybe what you are actually seeking is to just get more leverage to the stock market. Yeah. In which case, if that's ultra long-term focused, yeah, maybe. I- I've talked about this in the show. I think we talked- Someone gave us like a hypothetical $1 million. What would we do with it? Yeah. I remember saying in that that I would probably use something like a dividend harvesting thing where I could get the franking credits from a line of credit on a home, which is tax deductible. So it can kind of offset but grow. The purpose wouldn't be to repay the loan, it'd just be to increase exposure to the market. Keep the loan the same and grow your capital. And yeah. we, I mean, we've historically, and we continue to think that Australia is great for value in old-fashioned companies. Yep. Growth in Australia is more volatile. And the the growing companies overseas tend to be of higher quality. You know, Apple, Amazon, just perfect examples. Yeah. Not at the moment, but <laughs> yeah. over the long period of time. This is a very rare diamond. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Here we go. This is the thing that I was talking about. Jack, I want you to draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> Wearing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Am I in a meme? Well, you are now, but that was Arnold Schwarzenegger's face. On Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can use them. Um, we've talked about this before. Just be careful with the, the amplification. Um, uh, so, the next question is, uh, well, we've answered this question before, Dottie, but it was like, which platform that supports chess-sponsored chess trading uh, with HIN numbers on US shares for Oz investors not residing in the US instead of a custodial model with the majority of the platforms are? And will any support dividend reinvestment so I can automate the processes? It's a bloody good question. I don't actually have the answer to that. Um, so basically, reinvested dividends in the US. I think some of them will do that. I've used Comsec International. It is a nightmare. That's a dog. To get on there. Oh but Lord. it seems because it's like big. It's, yeah. I think it's Pershing or someone yeah, used to Pershing, One of the yeah. biggest groups in the world did it. And it was incredibly difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a dog's breakfast. I, I feel like steak maybe be able to do something like this, but you don't. The HIN model is Australian, so the HIN model, the chess sponsored. I think maybe something. I don't know. So you'd have to check this out for yourself. But maybe something like Charles Swab. They yep. used to have an Australian beachhead. They came and went, came and went. Maybe that's something to check out. Um, There's a few groups in Australia, but most of them are brokerage yeah. houses, and you have to pay big brokerage to. Yeah. To, to get that sort of control and access. Yeah. But um, ha- go and speak to the likes of Stake, Self-Wealth, sponsor of the show, um, and others who might uh, be able to offer some support there, Dottie. Uh, Philip Lowe's house cleaner says, hi. <laughs> She's directed this one to me. Oh, um, hi, Owen. Love the pod. I really appreciate the information that you and the team have been giving out and discussing. I've been adding to my ETF portfolio every week, and my broker that I use is Comsec Pocket. I don't hear many finance people talk about it at all. So my question is, can you outline the positives or negatives? Um, yeah, so Comsec Pocket's a really interesting thing. It's like a micro-investing platform that gives you a menu of ETFs that you can invest in. Um, the reason why you don't hear a lot of people talk about it is Comsec's so darn big. They don't really work with anyone in like podcasts or online. So they just rely on people that may have kids and those types of things to help set them up. They got like 80% of the normal brokerage market, don't they? So yeah. they don't need to market. Yeah, that's it. So that's why you don't hear a lot about them. But um, I think they have over, they're over a billion dollars in that product. Yeah. I think the thing that's really interesting about them is I believe they're actually HIN-based. So what happens, I think, is, and you can go on and confirm with Comsec, but what I think happens, Philip Lowe's house cleaner, is they... You, when you log into Comsec, you will see two different HINs, which is quite unusual. You don't normally see two different numbers. 
and I don't know exactly why they do that, but um, it's quite interesting. So double check that for me. But uh, yeah, like I've never, I haven't heard anyone say anything bad about them. I don't think I haven't heard anything bad about no, them. No, no, no. So I hope that helps you. Um, and you can go and check out Comsec Pocket. There are others like Raise uh, does it. Um, Perlo, who's a sponsor of our finance podcast, they do it as well now. Um, what there are plenty of others, but yeah, go and check it out. Great stuff. Warren Wood. Oh, we answered this one at the event. Uh, yep. The difference between the uh, index funds from Vanguard and the index ETFs. There's really no difference. ETF six basis points cheaper. ETF six basis points cheaper. Yeah. I wonder if that's because there's more lending that goes on. I don't know. Stock lending, lending, stock lending. Yeah. It'd also just be the structure. So having a unit trust structure. Yeah. Historic, like it's an old, more of an old-fashioned structure. Yeah, true. Compared to an ETF. Yeah. So there's really no difference between the Vanguard unlisted fund versus the listed fund. The ETF is probably simpler to get in and out of. Um, that's about it. Most of Vanguard's money, which is something we spoke about yesterday, is actually in those unlisted funds. It's not yeah. in the ETFs. ETFs are still pretty small. 113 billion, I think, in Australia. Yeah. Elongated Musk. <laughs> says, is there an advantage in buying exchange-traded bonds as opposed to using uh, Australian bond ETFs? Well, there's no... And other than being maybe tactical around which bonds you buy, I don't really think there is. No, it's just like active management. So do you think you can pick something that's going to perform better than the treasury bond ETFs, holding them individually? You're just probably less diversified. There's probably more disadvantages than advantages. The advantage would be higher concentration and potential to get a higher return. Yeah, so ex- exchange-traded bonds are called XTBs, I'm pretty sure, aren't they? Yeah. No, not ETBs, yeah, XTBs. Uh, you can buy a bond just like you can buy... It's like fractionalized shares because normally bonds are like million-dollar parcels and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So it's like fractionalized investing in shares, but for bonds. Um, so maybe you can be more, I guess, tactical about it. And but no the, fee, I guess. Yeah. If you're in an ETF, you're going to be paying some sort of management fee. True. But the... I mean, there's got to be some sort of custodial model behind that to fractionalize it. So there would be something that sits behind it. I don't know what it is. Um, the man formerly known as idiot. Okay, <laughs> still a idiot. That's the. Is that the question? That's the name. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. Might be a stretch. I've had my eye on a lit ASX QRI, Solicited Investment Trust. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting lit. Yeah, uh, it's a bit different. It's trading at roughly one dollar forty-three. Its said value is roughly. It's $1.64. I think they'll be talking about NTA. Yeah, net asset value. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's the Brains Trust think? Uh, 64% senior, but land and investment loans, some construction. Discount is attractive. But- Did you just steal my notes? Oh, is that your- <laughs> I thought those were questions. It's the same font. Those are my notes. <laughs> so, okay. Now over to Drew. <laughs> I think- so this is Qualitas's real estate income strategy, where they make private loans to construction, existing land, and and investment facilities. So what you want you can it's essentially a private lending trust on a listed market. So the discount is attractive. Clearly, uh, the challenge with these is because they're private loans. You the assets that you're buying, you have to be confident that they're valued appropriately. That's yep. uh, no, you can't go any which further. Default than that. rates, so it's everything. What's the risk of default? Yeah. Um, which most of these things, have, I don't think, have ever had one. Uh, but that's it, if the share price is lower than the NTA, that could be someone, what people are saying. Someone thinks, yeah, yeah, there might be a difficult period ahead. Maybe that's because interest rates are going up and they're, they're worried about, particularly um, the construction sector. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had uh, Andrew Swartz, is it? 
Yeah. Andrew Schwartz from Qualitas. I mean, incredible business. Insane business, yeah. yeah. Talk about- um, From a scratch. I actually saw him walking down the street the other day, just yeah. outside Garden State there. Don't know if that's where I was coming from, but he's walking <laughs> past it. Um, so, um, so um, yeah, it's- it's a it's actually a really interesting thing because it pays income monthly. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're talking about, is there's a you can buy into this trust, it's like a fund, and it lends money out to property developers, to landowners, etc., who need loans that might be one to two years in duration to fund their things. They call it a non-bank lender. Yeah. And this is a big market in Australia. It's growing because banks don't really go into this space. And what that means is that the loans are typically short duration, so they're not like government bonds, which are like super long out into the future. These are just like a few years at most. It might be you're finishing one, someone's finishing one development, but they have bought the next one and they need finance for that one, which they'll repay when they finish current one. Yeah, exactly. But it's not just development, be clear. I'll be yeah, clear it's not that. just, yeah. Um, and so, the, 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 it's a really interesting thing because you get income monthly. Um, by the way, if you look at the share price, it looks like it's flat. That's the whole point. It pays income. Yeah, not. It's not going to grow. Yeah. It's not That's designed a, to grow. It's a debt facility. Yeah. Because because we had, I think there's a question on this on senior secured loans. Um, similar, not the same. Not yeah. the same thing. <laughs> so, but Still senior, which still means senior, they're the highest yeah. ranking on the balance sheet, uh, which means you're the first claim if something went wrong Does with one wrong. of the lenders. Yeah. Uh, but the senior secured loan market's more of a listed market, like a government bond market yeah. where- where those bonds are priced every day. The private loan market, they're not priced every day. Yeah. So they've got a long track record, Qualitas. Um, been doing it for a long time, multiple funds. The Yeah, I would just say, as Drew said, that the risk is default rates. Yeah. Go back and study the company, speak to them over a long period of time. I'm pretty sure they do like webinars and these types of things, which are quite informative. Yeah. So you can um, go and check that out. Metrics would be a similar example. Yeah, metrics. Uh, and the big question with these is always risk versus reward. So you say you can get a term deposit at 4% yep. uh, for one year. Are you getting enough reward for the risk associated with this? Is just the most ba- It should be every investment you consider, but more particularly when it goes around debt and the income side. Absolutely. So it's uh, it's it's actually quite popular on the ASX. So currently 540 mil market cap, um, fees 1.5% or so. Uh, it's actually quite a popular product because it, people do love that monthly income. But I think you were quite a, kind of educating me on this recently. Is that when you think about these things, don't just look at like the don't just look straight at the the yield or the running yield on these things, you got to look at the yield minus expected loss yeah. to give you like a see-through on what actually you might get um, and it just go from there, really. Uh, it's a, a it's pretty unique. I don't think there are many of these on the ASX from memory. Uh, not many, a couple. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's a good question. Um, but as Drew said, like you can look, if, if you take Drew's point at the top of the show around interest rates potentially going the other way, i.e. coming down, this is, in my opinion, the time to start thinking longer duration, meaning longer- <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> longer dated loans. Fixed. Fixed. Yes, fixed, exactly. Because you will get the uplift in the value of the portfolio and you'll get the interest payments flowing through, the coupon payments, the increase in- now, I told you this last week. Just letting you know Owen's been drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> No, we said this, what was it, two weeks ago? The duration week? Kool-Aid. <laughs> you said, oh, yeah, no, we've been doing that for a few months when I said, oh, I'm thinking duration. And you're like, yeah, we've been doing it for some of the portfolio. I'm like, yeah, I'm thinking of moving out of hybrids. Yeah. There we go. Good choice. <laughs> Great moments. Welcome. We are, we are all drinking the Kool-Aid. 
Um, so, Farmer Stu, we did answer this at the, the uh, event, so I'll be quick. Um, hi, Owen. Say I have a farm. Awesome. I, I, I want a farm. I really want a farm. Um, you can't, no, you can't, have you can't it. buy it. <laughs> That's what it says. <laughs> but can you help pull? But you can help pull calves and mark the lamb sometime. Well, great. Right into me. I'd love to do that. I need some practice. I don't remember uh, answering this one. Did I black out? You know, we didn't answer it. <laughs> so, say I have 500K still owing on this farm and it's worth 1.2 mil, 700K equity. What do you think about borrowing against the farm to buy dividend producing companies using the, the dividends to pay off the mortgage? It's similar to the above. That's, first of all, valuations on farms can be very volatile. That's the first thing I'd say, like very volatile. Yes. You don't have, I would never borrow money against something to invest unless the, I was certain that that was a long-term asset that I was ho- owning and income to cover the loan. Yeah. Like that's at the in any crisis like we're, we're facing now, the key question is serviceability. Serviceability is your first question. And agriculture seasonable seasonal as well. Yeah. So whether it's calves, the pricing of grain, all all these kind of inputs need to be put into it. So are you you're adding uncertainty to an already uncertain kind of underlying asset. asset. Yeah. That said, one point two million. I dare say, and I could be wrong about this. It may be more hobby farm rather yeah. than business farm because yeah. if it's arable land and all that, it's probably going to be worth a little bit more. Um, so it, the same rules apply to what was above in the question before, yeah. which is that what's your goal? Serviceability. Um, net, like, what is what, what is the <coughs> saying? You you never risk something you have for something. I can't remember the, the phrase where it's like you don't risk. Put all everything you have at risk for something that you don't need. Yeah, exactly. Um, What's the goal? Are yeah. you trying to build uh, wealth over ten years? Yeah. Um, and then I'm gonna look this up. You're gonna use the dividends to pay off the mortgage. So are you just gonna be break even? It's kind of what's if you're in a capital accumu- uh, accumulation, then you want to you want to have a long and patient process. You want to be locking into it for ten years. Yeah. So great point. That's a good question. Let me. I'll, I will actually come to the farm if it's within. Remote, like if I can get there, <laughs> I'll come and have a look. Um, on the other podcast coming up on the Australian Finance Podcast over summer, I actually go into depth about the type. Like, I'm my goal is to buy a farm in the next five years, so that is the thing that I'll be doing. Um, you'll be interested in that one. It's over on the Australian Finance Podcast. Um, so FTX Get Swifty says, "Gentlemen, I wish to bring up the topic of China." Um, did anyone else notice a directive by the CP, CCP Pol- Politburo recently that ordered the big banks in China to reallocate emergency safety net liquidity back into the housing par- market to support struggling developers? Is it, I'm pretty sure this is part of the question. This move, for my mind, is ringing GFC-style alarm bells, perhaps even more reason to batten down the investor hatches, so to speak. Or am I being a fearmonger? So I'd say... If the RBA stepped into the RMBS market in Australia, would you think it's a GFC style event? Probably. They do it every other day. Do they? RMB, uh, yeah. That's <laughs> part of QE is buying bonds from different oh, yeah, markets, yeah, yeah. ensuring the efficient functioning because yeah, yeah, the RMBS yeah. market is used to fund loan books that the banks use everywhere else. So true. I think there's a tendency to see anything in China. <laughs> That has something nah, to do dodgy. with finance as, as <laughs> dodgy. And it's not it's not our fault. It's like literally the way that it's portrayed in media and news and everything is always that it's it's a much bigger issue than if it was the same thing was being done here. Go I cities, think, mate. You yeah. seen them? Yeah. Oh, they're all full now. <laughs> yeah. I think what do you mean like you've seen Docklands? 
<laughs> we're, we're worse at enrichment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like the I think the Fed's still in the RMBS market in in the US as well. They're still actively buying in those markets. So I don't I don't know exactly what this this uh, change was about, but. It seems not out of the ordinary to what central banks are typically doing everywhere. They're, they're trying to ensure the efficient functioning of markets. And the Chinese have deliberately reduced the you know, valuations and froth in their property market and done so at probably the opposite. Everyone's telling them they were going too hard for the last 18 months. And now they're going back to support it uh, and, and assist the recovery out of the pandemic. So There you go. Turn it here first. No more wham, no cry. Question, no. Um, in your interview with Jeff Wilson, this was for me one. This is one for me, sorry. Some important <laughs> questions were not asked, like why is Wham at a 10-year low? <laughs> and why has Jeff Wilson been selling off his holdings? And what? why are the top 20 stocks in Wham such poor choices, like AMP and Tabcorp? Explosive question <laughs> from No More Wham no cry, and No More Crow. Uh, I thought he'd actually been buying when I looked today. Oh, really? Maybe it was he's bought about uh, 150 grand's worth of Wham. I'm not sure about the other listing. They're all individual listing ca- investment companies. We yeah. have to remember. So he's buying the underlying stocks that are in that listed investment company. Yeah, I saw some trades today. They said some trades gone through. Yeah, this month in December 2022. Yeah, yeah, 150 grand. Yeah, yeah, and then I don't think there's anything. But then also uh, all of, nefarious all of- or you know expecting it to be turning negative or anything. I think it's probably, it's in his super fund, so. But then all of um, May spying. Yeah. It was all on market it trades. It might have been, it could have been, he's got, but got about eight listed investment companies, so it could have been one of the others. Yeah. It could be that he saw better value in this one versus another one, or he just was rebalancing, because the trade was in his super fund, so yeah, might it, have just been rebalancing. It's important to know that- um, it's important to know that I'm just getting this data straight from um, Market Index, which is a fantastic website. Uh, you know, he's still aligned. He's been doing it for. Yeah, he's not going <laughs> anywhere. So, so, like, yeah, um, like if it goes down, no one. I would imagine no one in Australia will hurt more than Jeff Wilson. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'd say that's pretty good alignment. Um, poor performance or or the negative performance I think the challenge one point that quickly picks up here is are you comparing to the right benchmark because he compares to two the ASX all odds and he's grossly underperformed that Mm. but if you compare to the small odds and this wham is very much focused on small and medium sized companies he's actually outperformed the small odds so the ASX has been benefiting from materials and energy the small odds the opposite Uh, so yeah, it's just been a difficult period for smaller companies. And that's why I'd said it, if you're saying a 10-year low, potentially. Yep. Um, so, great question. Good hard-hitting question. I have no idea why he bought AMP or Tabcorp. He's a value investor. Yeah, well, that's, he seeks catalysts. Yeah. And we, I think that's probably the, my guess. In the other, yeah, the other session that will come out in January, we talk about the challenge of value investing is what's the catalyst to reduce the difference between value and valuation. Yeah, so what Drew's referencing is we're doing a summer series, which is awesome, and we talk about value investing in depth and Catalyst is something that many, particularly in Australia, I find it very common in small and mid caps. A lot of fundies love the catalyst play yep. because it just gives them a chance to re-rate really quickly. So, yeah, good question. Senior searcher. Now, I thought this would be someone that was like a senior who was searching for something, but I don't think that's the case. Howdy. I just listened to the episode about senior secured loans. I was as interested as you, Owen, but what should I search to find access to this asset class? True. I believe it was a question to you. <laughs> no, no, he's just complimenting me. On oh, that. thanks. 
Uh, senior secured loans. That's how we. <laughs> yeah. uh, I think it's pretty. It is challenging because we we've used them in the past, uh, and senior secured loans can be everything from you know, high quality, like bank loans in Australia, all the way down to sub investment. You know, triple B, double B. So, like what you call junk or high yield. Yep. Uh, Invesco is one of the few that has. I think you interviewed Ash O'Connor. Yeah, one those heaps of fun. Yeah. For, for, for debt, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he makes it interesting. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're one of the few that have like a, a dedicated strategy, but groups like I think Bentham and Newberger yep. have them as a portion of their more diversified strategies. So I haven't found many that- You know you who can, else does this? Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. The um, Speaking of Wham, we've just gone from Wham. I'm interviewing straight after this, basically, um, Dania from the Wham Alternatives Fund. She's a portfolio oh, Dania, yeah. Yeah. And they have it as a sleeve, I think, oh, within, with, within the their alternatives fund. Yeah. So they get exposed. I think it's direct exposure. I don't can't remember. What, no, it's not direct. I don't know what it is. It's but quite a niche asset class. So it's always going to be a sleeve within a more diversified fixed income or credit strategy. Yeah, but it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, I mean, you can go back and listen to that episode with Ashley. It kind of makes the case really well. So good one, senior searcher. Forget lithium. Let's go for copper. Says. Forget lithium, let's go for copper. Chaps, can you please have your can I please have your views on GlobalX Ultra Long Nasdaq 100 hedge fund, aka LNAS, LNAS, which is the hedge fund that trades on the ASX, as an option to trade a small portion of a portfolio with the aim to benefit from the volatility in the Nasdaq, knowing full well the risks involved with this type of fund being heavily leveraged. I have my core portfolio well set, but looking for opportunities to trade a small percentage. I would say that sounds very reasonable, your question, to be honest. You know, yep. you've given us a bit of info there, which we can't respond to. But just in terms of the actual, like the way you think about it, like that's how I kind of think about it. Yeah. It's it's non-core yeah. and yeah. it's could be like buying a small cap or micro cap that a lot of people do. Yeah. yeah. But these a lot of these things, just so we're all across it, these, these are deliberately called hedge funds because they've got higher volatility, they're high risk. Never, I would never put this in my core portfolio. Um, yeah. Nor the, the inverse stuff. That's just crazy for me. But um, I hate anything that encourages speculation, though. It yeah, always same. Yeah. And the one thing with these is that a lot of people think that they should hold them long term, and they're not designed for that. The products are designed for short term. As Drew probably said, speculation. So this would be something like off to the side with a very small amount of money. Clear entry and exit strategy. Yeah, um, and that's probably it. Like, and GlobalX, who is the issuer of this ETF or fund know that so yeah you'll find a lot of disclosures on their website and disclaimers but yeah i mean that's it i i, I don't use it we've talked a lot about debt i would the, probably only the type of debt that i would use is um like the line of credit against a home but the warren buffett says smart investors uh, smart investors don't need debt and if you're not smart well <laughs> put me in the camp of not that smart because i would <laughs> Consider the property. Okay. So, uh, Rumpel Dowcrush says, outside of equities and property, what other alternative investments entice your investing taste buds? Nom, nom, nom. Bodies of water, Lego, art, so many options. But what's an actual option that's possi- that possibly may spark some joy with a capital J, which is quite interesting. That struck me in this dark world and provide a return. I ask a lot, but you guys have been delivering lately. Hmm, thank you. Not NFTs? No. Well- I've got one F, two, a few NFTs. <laughs> so, but it's just a 
joke. Um, watches were pretty popular. I think it's been pretty- The last- uh, as, you, as you look at your watch- As I look at my Apple Watch, <laughs> that is just decimated it's on Bloomberg, But it seems like you're coming off this tailwind of everything being popular and expensive, and you don't yeah, know where the, where the bottom's going to be for a lot of these like more niche asset classes. I like whiskey and wine, if you cannot drink it. Yeah, that's probably- I want to drink yeah, it. Yeah. It's consumable. You've got to lock it up somewhere. I've got I a like few cars. friends who just buy wine. You, you never sell it, though. That's- you can still th- you still think you're worth more because you own it. True. I'm not a real art person, but um, you probably t- tell that from my Ocker accent. But <laughs> but I do like cars. Yeah. And I do like old motorbikes. I think those two because I'm a bit of a tinkerer. Um, but actual alternative investment classes, I don't. I'm not really the pennies in front of a steamroller merger arb type guy. But I do like like when I get lots and lots of money. What I'll probably do is I'll probably stick a bunch of these super out there hedge funds in my allocation somewhere just to see what they do. Like um, there, are, there's a there's one in Australia that's always fascinated me. I don't invest in it. Have no. I do not recommend this in any way. But I'm interested if you've heard of it, Drew. It's called the Regal Atlantic Fund. Have you ever heard of that? Regal Atlantic, like Regal. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, they got. I think it's called the Atlantic Fund. Yeah. Which is like this super high octane fund that they've had for a long time. I think it's like closed now, but um, it was always something that really fascinated me. If like, I think it was like multiple times levered like <laughs> equities. Bronte capital kind yeah, of. Yeah, like that yeah. kind of stuff, um, which is really interesting. Yeah. But I wouldn't be investing that as like a core part of my strategy. I just do private businesses, as you, as well, you yeah, can that's, tell. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you've got like 50 of them. Um, <laughs> no, it doesn't really. But, um, but yeah, that's private businesses. If you think of private- I uh, See, I don't think of private business as an alternative asset class. But if I had my financial advice lens on, of course it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. I love private businesses. Particularly when you can get synergies. Like all of us sitting in this office is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Ideas throwing around. Yeah. Uh, call me daddy. Hi, Daddy. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Hi, the dynamic duo. Thoughts on Solpats in the core portfolio, which already owns the Vanguard VAS of 300, ASX 300 ETF. Is there too much crossover between the two? Thanks. Uh, I think it's generally looked fine. I actually haven't followed Solpats all that much, but there isn't a significant amount of overlap. They, they yeah. seem to own private equity. They own farmland. They own commercial property. And they've Mines. got yeah, and some top holdings yeah. in CSL, CBA, Woolworths. So, um, yeah. seem like reasonable diversifiers. C- call me daddy. Uh, we uh, <laughs> we uh, I've interviewed. I caught up with Tom Tom Milner, son of Rob Milner, uh, in Sydney last week or something. Um, that will be out on the Investors Podcast in the next month. He had so many good insights yet again. What I would say is, I, in terms of individual company names for the core of a portfolio. Uh, I would have no problem having Solpats in there because they're very differentiated. They think long-term, they're low cost, all of those things. Great management team, aligned. The the bit that some people get a bit uh, like they just, I guess they just raise one eyebrow is the coal focus or like the coal exposure. Yeah. Um, so, make of that what you will. But um, for the most part, yeah, it's... If I was looking at individual stocks in the ASX and I had a 20-year time horizon, I had to buy today and couldn't sell in 20 for 20 years, I think Solpats would be at the top of my list because it's anti-fragile. Yeah. Like, it's got so many things that it does. It's just a holding company. It's Berkshire Hathaway of Australia. Yeah. So, like it. Uh, pink and Sparkly, we're getting through them. Pink and Sparkly says, is there an ETF for pink argyle diamonds or how do you invest safely? That's probably the key word there, in them. No idea. 
No idea. I've seen a couple of clients come in with them. And uh, I mean, diamonds are run on a, a similar concept as precious metals, that it's scarcity. Yeah. Uh, and I think the challenge is you don't know the price until you want to sell it. I haven't, I've seen a lot of whole people hold them and never sell them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of ads for this online. Just be very careful. That's what I'd say. It's, it's very appealing. Just be careful. If, if, if you're going to make it like a very unique, we we're just talking about alternative assets, maybe it's part of it, but for the most part, it's not part of a core strategy. Uh, explosive Bond Buffett, after, in brackets, after an extra spicy RBA <laughs> interest dinner at government bond restaurant, close brackets, says, hey, yo, firstly, what are your thoughts on Michael Burry's market crash predictions? And what do you think of the imminent EFT burst looming over us? Secondly, what would be the best broker platform for margin trading for having hedges as well as... The ASX 200. I don't, I don't... I won't comment on the second. No, no, same. I feel like people like Michael Burry and Harry Dent and Robert... We were talking about Kiyosaki Oh, yeah, Robert Kiyosaki. As well. Yeah. The, when they're constantly talking about the next crisis, it does more damage to investors' wealth than, yeah. than, than the positive that they provided over decades. Yeah. Um, you know, it's incredibly emotional, but history has shown... And data shows that the longer you stay invested, uh, you know, supported by earnings growth from the S&P, which we talked about as well, uh, staying invested is the most important thing. And trying to pick when the next crisis is coming is incredibly dangerous. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Particularly Kiyosaki. Wow. <laughs> um, so, uh, great book. Good cl- cash flow quadrant. Just stop talking. <laughs> Good game. Stop talking. <laughs> so, um, the second part, which is the margin lending... Qu- trading question we're not uh, we that's not our jam so we just avoid that at all costs as well as things like cfds uh, but you did say love your interviews and conversations keep it the great work well thank you uh, explosive bond buffett i would say with michael burry one thing to keep in mind is that it sounds great to predict the doom and gloom of etfs i think uh, there was a headline out recently from even australian legend peter thornhill saying something they've been proven yeah, like the, yeah. the worst crisis for fixed income markets in 2020 that you could think of for ETFs and they were fine. Yeah. I would just say like you don't want to, there are risks like in the market making function that goes yeah. on behind an ETF, but as long as those market makers are in shape there's and you're investing in liquid markets, there's always going to be risks. I- Idiosyncratic. Yeah. Yeah. There'd be, it'd be one off thing, like an unlisted asset in a listed structure that would always be a struggle for ETFs, not the whole market. No. I was saying to you off air that there was a, there is one particular ETF that seems like it, it's an investing in an asset class which seems liquid, as in like what it buys for investors seems good, but I just have question marks over it and members will know what I'm talking about in a few days. Um, so, as in RAS members. So, I would say there's another stat. And we've got probably five minutes to go, Drew. Um, we've got one more stat, which is that- um, 10 questions. <laughs> ETFs, as far as I know, own uh, are buying, I believe, uh, or hold more than 50% of assets now in the US or something crazy. Yeah. Um, but they account for only 5% of trading. Yeah. So, think about that. Super popular. I yeah. mean, uh, we keep hearing that managed funds are for old people and ETFs are for, the, for young people. But they're both like they're both, both. They do the same thing. They do exactly the same thing. It's just how you get in and out of it. Yeah. Old timer with a big tank. Love that. Maybe he's a marathon runner or she's a marathon runner. Uh, how is published fund performance data verified? Does do you have to have an AFSL or an Australian Financial Services license? Yeah, it's super well regulated. Yeah, my understanding was that the custodian of each trust or fund or ETF would set the price every day, yeah. and then the price would then be used to calculate the performance, and then ASIC is the regulator to make sure that performance isn't misleading. Yeah, in Australia, as long as it's got an AFSL and you can verify that via ASIC's website, 
man, oh man, is it regulated. Like it is the one area of finance when you are in a proper regulated fund. Yeah, that's <sighs> that's a big one though. There's a lot of unregulated or like yeah. sophisticated investor funds yeah. that there is no performance data requirement. Yeah, so make sure that you look for something that's an AFSL and yeah. then check it on the ASIC website or Money Smarter wherever you get your AFSL checks. Um, yeah, I've, we, I've been through this process recently and what's required on the other end. And I was like, to be honest, I just want the number. <laughs> like, I know it's good. Tell me how. <laughs> just do it for me, please. Uh, Mr. Schrub says, I currently have a mortgage, personal pl- uh, principal place of residence mm-hmm. and a shares portfolio. Thinking of paying, uh, thinking of selling the, the shares, putting it in the mortgage and redrawing on the mortgage, i.e. debt recycling. Uh, I think we've covered this, but uh, I'm just going to read Drew's notes. Make sure you will be able to sustain the loan for at least seven to 10 years. Leverage adds additional risk, which we've talked about, um, or, or your mind may change at some point. So that could be costly. Yeah. Um, it requires patience and an ability to not make emotional decisions. Thanks, Drew. So imagine implementing this strategy and then 2020 hit. Yeah. What you want to do is make sure you're com- confident that you're not going to you know, make a poor decision to sell in the worst of the self, which a lot of people did. Uh, I'm going to take the next question as quickfire. Uh, Trio of Dips says, the, what are the top five countries that you're most bullish or bearish? Um, it's up to you to pick over on the next decade in order. Uh, you got 20 seconds. China, Indonesia, United States. Cool. And one one sentence, why? Policy settings and, chi- and timing in China yep. off the back of the pandemic. Indonesia seeing a massive run in commodity, key commodities and demographics are improving. And US, I reckon the Fed could have done the perfect magic trick. Oh, gosh. Inflation was going to fall on its Where's itself, Australia? And they managed to increase interest rates at the same time. Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. And yours? Don't have an answer, but um, <laughs> maybe China not at the top. China for a very small <clears> bit, <throat> perhaps. Uh, I would say still love the US, still love Aussie. Probably Aussie yeah. first, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I love the divvies. Uh, if God were... Okay, so this is happy birthday, Muriel. Oh. If God were in a weird mood and decided to come down and force you to short one stock today... Don't steal my stock. ...and close the position at the end of 2023, so that's like 12 months, what would it be? For me, I'm going energy. Whitehaven Coal or uh, an energy or an oil and gas company. They've run incredibly hard and you've got a threat of recession in most of the major economies. And naturally, what what you've seen, Inflation Reduction Act, repairing EU over in, in Europe, you're going to see a significant jump in renewable energy investment in the next 12 months as well. Dub is on the way up. So that was for Drew's. And what's yours? <laughs> I always say Dub is on the way up. So you're not going to short it? 65% in the last month. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> what are you shorting? Samantha. Dubber. Well, the thing is- oh, so you tried to say without saying it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can you get stock to short though? I know I can get Whitehaven stock. Um, well, Whitehaven's only two times earnings. Anyway. Um, we talked about this. <laughs> so, to be right with shorting, you have to be right on the timing, which the wonderful questioner, Happy Birthday Mural, has given us that. But you also have to be right on the company. So, there has to be a catalyst- and you have to be right, which is yeah. very, very, very hard. So shorting is quite risky for that reason. Um, so what you basically want is you want to overprice stock that you can maybe make a thesis out of in a quick period of time. Yeah. I can make a thesis out of Dubber, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Yeah, the catalyst. Yeah, I don't know if that's there. Yeah. Because I feel like that's maybe already happened. So Sam Bankman-Fraud says, um, 
fraud, jump or got out over his skis? I'm a perennial optimist, I think, most of the time. So, I try to, try to yep. hope he didn't do it on purpose. Uh, it just seems like maybe giving him too much benefit of the doubt, a confused kid that got caught with his own ego running this massive business that yep. was then enabled and had no framework around him. Yep. Like enablement from massive capital flows continue to come in without any real consideration where they were going. Yep. Like it. <laughs> Self-managed super is my porn name, says <laughs> OpenAI chat GPT uh, was very popular on the internet this past week. If you were... If you, too, were to create a startup in order to leverage a technology, what would it be? True. I said a new Twitter. If, is that even uh, possible? Yeah, it could. Well, yeah. Uh, what's that other thing from Donald Trump? Don't know what's called. Uh, Truth Social or something. something. Let's not promote that. <laughs> so, um, I, you know what's incredible about chat, GPD? If you haven't already signed up, one million users in like four, four seconds. Um it's actually on Twitter. If you at chat GPT, GPT, it will respond to you with answers. Yeah. It's incredible. Like um, remember Bongo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember that from the birdcage. Uh, so, <laughs> so, anyway. Um, so, I would I did something on this and I thought it was incredible because all of our, we- our, web, our websites want to run on WordPress. If I could get that out, jeez. Um, I actually asked it to create me a, a plugin, like software- that used both JavaScript and PHP <laughs> to run inside WordPress core just by giving it a prompt, say, hey, I want this uh, plugin that does this thing. It created the app for me. And it worked? Well, I was too scared to implement it. But I was reading <laughs> the code and I was like, this works. Yeah. And it will self-correct. If you say there's an error, it will self-correct. I was just like, crazy. why would you? But then the servers blew up, didn't they? Because too many people were using it at the same time. But I was like, why would so basically, you could create any tech tool you wanted to by talking to it. Yeah, which is incredible. You replace us. Anyway, so that's what I'd do. Um, chase your losses; they can't run forever. You might get more common sense out of <laughs> ChatGPT as well. Yeah, true. <laughs> Ch- chase your losses; they can't run forever. Favorite nonfiction book you read this year? Favorite Substack? Substack. Go. So I don't read nonfiction, but does TV count? Because yep. Yellowstone is exceptional yep. and White Lotus, yep. both exceptional. And then uh, Substacks, there's a couple I got onto, which was Nathan Tankus. You might have heard of him. During, heard of it, yeah. Yeah, no, it's on the crisis. That was back during 2020. China last night because I'm a China bull. Yep. Um, that's like an overnight update on what happened in China. Cool. And then a guy called Fred Wilson uh, had musings of a VC. So he's like an ex-big VC manager that's now a small one. Cool. And that watching what was happening in that sector. Frank uh, from Lone Wolf uh, is appearing on the Australian Investors Podcast in the next couple of weeks. So keep an eye out for that. He runs a Substack, which is pretty awesome. Uh, talks about, does deep dives on like Chinese stocks. You might like it. Uh, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and this year, the, the book that I read as nonfiction was Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist. Um, I've said this before, but I've just been rereading some of Buffett's stuff or like about him and it was just incredible. So if you haven't already read that book, if you're one to two years into your journey, you'll like the book, Buffett, The Making of an American Capitalist. I read the question wrong, didn't I? Yeah, uh, you said- I it was fiction. fiction. <laughs> yeah, so nonfiction. But you said you don't read- uh, I read Zero to One. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, was that good? Which is exceptional. Yeah, still, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Great book and quite an easy read. Okay, cool. Two more questions. Quick fire. Boring but rich. Two broad areas of gaining alpha are stock picking and asset class selection. There are plenty of studies to show active stock pickers suck. I didn't say that. But active stock pickers underperform passive index funds by about seven to one. Are there any studies that show active portfolio managers 
constantly shifting asset classes this way and that outperform a fixed portfolio? I don't, not that I'm aware of, and I think it's challenging because there's so many potential Changes. variables in that. Yeah. Uh, and I, but personally, I think it is much easier to add and detract value via strategic asset allocation compared to investment selection as well. Yeah. If you think about the ability, you know, have something like hedging or more recently, you know, you know, we had zero duration coming into this year where a lot of groups had 15 or 20 percent. Um, having a the ability to make a change like that compared to having slightly different stocks to the index can be significant. Uh, so there's definitely potential for outperformance and underperformance. Boring but rich this is a great question. I agree with what just what Drew just said. Um, certain markets require certain tools, um, yeah. and so there will be instances where they do outperform, like some bond markets, for example, uh, small caps, definitely, um, global small caps, uh, even some uh, EM markets as well, or emerging markets. Uh, so I would say that is true, but there is the famous study that showed that around 90% of portfolio return comes from asset class selection. Yep. That has since been challenged in a very big way. Debunked. Uh, debunked in a way, and the summary is basically this. SAA is the powerful, probably the a powerful driver of returns, more so than stock picking. Yeah, but it actually is time in the market. Yeah, and asset allocation, if it's done soundly, helps you not to make emotional decisions and stay invested in yeah. the market. Because mistakes are the thing the that you can't like. Even in all these studies, mistakes just are what get people up. You can have rules based studies, yeah. and you go to that. If you did this, then you'd do that. But no one's rational like that. Everyone just blows themselves up. So um, there are certain markets. And I'll link to the uh, the report from the CFA blog, which is from 2012. It's interesting because all the people that comment in the in the CFA blog were the people who wrote the original, original papers. <laughs> getting angry. <laughs> I'd support the active managers too, though. So yeah, I think yeah. the, the problem with Spiva or the S&P that report this is that there's no actual qualitative assessment of who is an active manager. So you'd find like the active share or the you know the difference to the benchmark of most of the funds in the universe wouldn't be very much. Yeah. If you looked at truly active managers, then I'd think it'd be much, probably more like 50-50 maybe, yeah. not 90% underperforms. Yeah. And yeah, just look at the actual benchmarks. So final question for 2022. Muriel's wedding will also be my wedding. <laughs> Why would you ever sell a stock that's down badly unless you really need the money that is? You're just locking, locking in a loss. My math would, could be wildly <laughs> off here. Can I take your note on this one? <laughs> Plus, you're punting on the chance that stock A, which you originally liked enough, will be twice the price. Going back to the point it's already shown it can get to. So, this seems silly. Why not just, as the crypto kids say, <laughs> hodl? <laughs> I think there's a lot of reasons why you'd sell. <laughs> many, many reasons. Uh, when first is the opportunity cost, like you're saying there. Yep. You could be holding something that's going to do better, or the thing, as you said, can always get shitter. <laughs> yeah, I hope I can say that. Because <laughs> there's no guarantee, there's, there's no rule that says if a stock's fallen, it's got to return to its old price. Yeah, there's nothing like that. Everything could change. So there's a risk that the you know the opportunity costs, you could just have it in cash and not lose any more money. It's, Turn around, sell them too. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I said the change of environment. So there could be a sector that's ultra competitive. Zip, for example, has now got like 15 to 200 competitors in buy now, pay later. Yep. It may never return to the original price that it was at. And I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm not comfortable with that, but I understand that. <laughs> the company could have changed. You know, uneconomic profits might have disappeared. Or the big one, mm. what's the risk they run out of money? 62 cents, that's what it is. Not not zip. No, 
Like if you look 86. at a tech company that's falling 90%, year year. like Peloton is falling 90%. They need to raise money. They're loss making. They, they ran on growth. What if they have to raise money? Yeah, but it's a tr- like a Will they still raise money? <laughs> with a TV on it. So if they can't raise money, why would their stock price is never going to recover? Yeah, get out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bad companies can always get worse. <laughs> I've learnt, we've both learned that yeah. the hard way many times. You can always lose 100%. Exactly. <laughs> so, but that's actually the good thing about stock picking and buying individual companies or anything that's a proper asset is you can only really lose 100%. <laughs> but your upside is basically unlimited. And in, the only way infinite. you capture that is through long-term investing. But the rule is this. If you lose money, it is harder to make it back because you're going off a smaller pool of money. So, Warren Buffett's- Rowan? Warren Buffett's rule of don't lose money is the first and most important rule to remember. That's it, mate. That's that's two cents. It's did, good to see you. Did you know that we've added around about 15,000 <laughs> listeners to the show since we've been coming on talking absolute nonsense? <laughs> that's, uh, I just find that crazy. Yeah. We're sitting here in like party shirts and the rest of the office is like, who are these guys? <laughs> Drew's got pink eye. <laughs> Pretending that we're famous. We're talking about just Rick. absolute crazy stuff like this guy. What's his name? This. Oh, here we go. All right. Wearing only this. <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I need. <laughs> so we'll be back in 2023. If you want financial advice in the new year, you think it's time to get your act together, speak to a financial planner. Reach out to Drew Meredith and the team, Roshana, Jamie, Renato, all the team at Wattle Partners. They'll help you out. They'll hook you up with high quality, one-on-one, personalized financial advice. But we'll be back. And if you want to support RASC, of course, you can become a RASC Core member. It's only $9.99 a month. Um, you'll see all of the ETFs that I've researched and what I'm doing there. You also get access to like 15 courses for $9.99 a month, um, as well as supporting the mighty Rask. So thank you so much to everyone that listened to the show throughout 2022. There will still be a shed load of episodes, some of the best conversations we've had on the series throughout summer. So don't go anywhere. And please, please, please share this series with your friends, your family, anyone that's interested in investing. We want to make it the best investing podcast Australia has ever seen. So let us know what you think. Leave a review, all that good stuff. Drew, mate, bloody pleasure. Thanks for joining me. Let's get to this Christmas party. An incredible year. Thank you. Thank you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest... Now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. 
simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.